Hey there, this is Steve V, and letting you know that on this week's episode, episode 195, we have a rebroadcast from episode 166 with Eric Yarborough. Eric is a psychiatrist that I had on probably in the springtime of this year to discuss our mental health as gay men, particularly related to the COVID outbreak and how we were all coping, coping with our sexuality, coping without intimacy and relationships just in general. I really enjoyed having him on and thought it would be a great time this week of Labor Day to rebroadcast this episode as I welcome Eric back in the next few weeks with some new topics about our mental health. I really enjoyed having him on. Keep in mind, we have a brand new show called Tags Live. It's every Wednesday on the Get Vocal application from 9 to 10 Eastern Time. It's with my co-host, Cody Maurice Doggett, and it's a video live podcast and we welcome special guests we have series like vulnerable voices and we answer your questions in real time you can actually communicate with us on the get vocal application this week we welcome dj dan daily on talking about how he's going to be entering in atlanta an upcoming party that he's spinning and how that may look you can listen to this show on the get vocal application it's getvocalvokl.com forward slash channel forward slash tags live. Also join me Thursday live for Sex with Stevie from 10 to 11 p.m. Eastern time. And with that being said, follow us at Tags Podcast. Here is episode 166 rebroadcast with Dr. Eric Yarbrough. My guest today is Eric Yarbrough, who started his training completing medical school at the University of Alabama School of Medicine and specialized in psychiatry at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital in New York City. For the first three years of his career, he worked at St. Luke's Hospital as associate training director and as a general outpatient psychiatrist for patients, including those living with serious mental illness. His career has been focused on LGBTQ populations, previously serving as president of AGLP, the Association of LGBTQ Psychiatrists, director of psychiatry at Callen Lord Community Health Center, which is one of the largest LGBTQ medical centers, and medical director of the Gay Men's Health Crisis. He is a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association and serves as their chair on the Council of Minority Mental Health and Health Disparities. Please welcome my guest, Eric Yarbrough. Well, Eric, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, I definitely wanted to have you on for a lot of reasons, um, particularly now during this pandemic that we're all in. And I was really struck just because your work um, with the LGBTQ community. Can you just talk about, in general, uh, why you kind of went into that to focus on LGBTQ and what your work has looked like? Oh, God, that's such a, a long <laughs> question. I'm going to try to sum it up. I mean, I, to, to make a basic, I guess, statement, you know, I grew up in Alabama, um, not the most friendly place to gay people. 
Um, I knew I wanted to do some type of medicine growing up. I kind of admired the family doctor. They were the people that were admired in the community and it was someone to look up to. And, you know, as I grew up and um, I kind of figured out slowly that I was gay, uh, I knew I needed to get out of Alabama. Um, No offense to anybody that's still there. And (laughs) I needed to get to New York City because that's where all the gay psychiatrists were. And that's what I did. Um, Early on in my career, I tried to focus on doing psychotherapy with uh, gay men. And over time, because I worked with gay men, people assumed I was an expert at the other um, letters in the acronym. So uh, lesbian patients, bisexual patients, transgender patients just started getting referred to me. And um, I got mentors to teach me about working with those populations. And over time, you talk to enough people and you listen to enough people and you slowly you know, that becomes your area of expertise. Uh, great. Um, so in general, some of the areas that you focus on are for our communities include things like anxiety, mood, uh, depression. And I couldn't think of a more current time where your patients and particularly people that haven't seen um, someone like yourself could really benefit from the work that you do. Yeah, and um, I'm noticing it with all my patients too. And I'm not a, just noticing it with them. I'm noticing it with my, myself, my friends, my family. Um, everybody is, you know, getting a little agitated, a little bit more dysthymic or depressed. You know, their mood's kind of drifting. Um, it's just a lot to deal with, and I don't think anybody expected going into 2020 that it was going to be like this. I felt like a lot of People had high hopes for this year, um, and they kind of were dashed, and all the plans that people had are kind of thrown out the window, and it's just, uh, it's been a really frustrating time for everybody. Would you say that one of the things that uh, gets people depressed, I mean, there's the obvious reasons, out of work, financial, just safety, but would you say that some of it is just that unknown factor? In other words, we kind of went into this pandemic thinking that, okay, maybe by late April, many of us will be able to get back to some form of normalcy. And then the the needle just kept pushing back further and further. And here we are, as we record this on the kickoff of what many consider the kickoff of summer Memorial Day weekend. And many of our summer plans that we had laid out for us have, are diminished. And yeah. so is it really that unknown factor of not knowing what to expect that can bring change our moods? Uh, yeah, I, I want to um, distinguish two words uh, that people will use quite often, um, the difference between like sadness and grief and depression and um, what depression is versus sadness. And, you know, it's normal to be sad. Um, everybody experiences a range of emotions when they're dealing with grief or loss. So when you think about like your your life and what you thought your life was and losing that for a period of time, if not, you know, depending on who you ask for uh, forever, um, that can make people sad and grieve. Uh, depression's like a syndrome. So uh, that's uh, a, a combination of symptoms like changes in sleep and appetite and um, lack, lack of interest in things that you used to do. So uh, people can become depressed and so they don't function anymore. And I do think that the unknown, like you mentioned, is probably affecting people a lot because, I mean, I'm here in New York City and uh, you're right. I think people were thinking maybe by the end of April or at least that's what time um, the quarantine was supposed to end and it just keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and you're like, when's it going to stop? Um, I uh, 
in a weird, I guess, lucky way or unlucky way, I was one of the first people I think that got sick. I got um, sick on March 10th or 11th and started quarantining at that point. And I pretty much have been ever since. And I cannot say it's been a pleasant experience. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can talk for myself and I can talk for my patients and my friends. And I can just tell you that it's it's becoming more and more frustrating, I think, as the days go by. Like yourself, I'm also quarantining by myself and believe that I had gotten the virus as, as well, although I will go get the antibody test um, next week. But what are some pitfalls that we can kind of look in for, our, for into ourselves that we could be falling down some sort of rabbit hole of depression that might be unhealthy that we might look for in ourselves? Yeah, it's hard because, you know, you're in a you're in an apartment or a room even that you're kind of stuck in and it's going to change your sleep because when you're in your bed all the time or you're in a place where you might take a nap all the time, it can disrupt your sleep patterns. And then you're around your kitchen all the time too. So nibbling on snacks and going to the kitchen, like you're already changing those behaviors too. And, you know, the idea of going out and going to a job or uh, going to volunteer work or whatever you do. Um, it's disrupted. And I think that kind of red flags to watch out for are changes in kind of the core of who you are. So, you know, me, one of my hobbies is painting. I love um, artwork and I like making artwork. And I know that I need to be cautious whenever I start putting that down for too long. Something's kind of a going on and I should pay attention to it. That means something might be affecting me that I'm not aware of. So if you have these hobbies that you normally do uh, that are you have available to you, like reading or writing or cooking, I know everybody's baking these days too. Um, <laughs> yep, I if, certainly am. I've <laughs> learned that baking is very hard, um, <laughs> very very hard. <laughs> but you know, just watch for those changes. So if someone doesn't seem like their normal self, uh, again, everybody's going to have a range of emotions. People are going to get angry. They're going to get sad. They're going to cry. But if this is consistent, not day to day, but week to week, uh, that's when it becomes more of a problem. I know that a lot of your work doesn't go into spirituality, although you may be, I don't know you very well, but um, do you think things like implementing things like meditation can just help settle it? I know for me personally, it, it helps. I've introduced meditation not every day but whenever i can and it does help kind of cleanse my mind a little bit with the peace that i get out of it yeah i have a complicated relationship with the uh, religion not so much with spirituality but uh i meditation is a, a great way to help with things like anxiety and depression and you know it also helps with people when they're laying in bed trying to fall asleep even about being able to kind of rezone your thinking or clear your mind and focus on one particular sensation and i guess on a basic level that's something like breathing um but yeah no that i i highly encourage people to do that to kind of clear their minds out if you're constantly checking your emails and you're you're seeing all this news pop up on the tv and i think i check the news maybe twice a day just to make sure you know, nothing dramatic is happening but as far right. as like reading the specifics of what's going on like i feel like i'm on one of those giant cruise ships and I just got to let, you know, whoever's driving the boat do their thing. And I'm, I'm listening for announcements as I go along. Um, I'm definitely one of those news junkie. And for me, I've, that's why I think I incorporate uh, meditation and long walks as, which to me can be sort of a moving meditation in a lot of ways. 
which has definitely helped me. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about people that are in current relationships that either long-term or maybe they moved in together prior to the pandemic. And what's some things that people, red flags that maybe can come up in relationships that could even during this quarantine um, and and then could you maybe tap into, I know domestic violence um, has gone up in recent times. It has. Um, I mean, you could take the person, if you think of the person that you love the most in the world, whether it's a partner or not, and you put the two of you in a room for two months uh, where nobody's really allowed to leave very much, you're going to get angry at each other. It's just human nature. You can't stay happy with someone 24-7, so expect yourself to get angry. Expect yourself to get frustrated. You know, there are um, a lot of gay couples I've talked to that were planning or thinking of moving in together, and the quarantine kind of forced it to happen because they'd rather be together than go months without seeing each other. And so they're dealing with their relationship kind of being put on fast forward. Um, I know young relationships that are being disrupted because they were doing okay, and then because of the quarantine, the separations uh, causing problems in the relationship. Or, I mean, there's a number of factors that can uh, jump into play. I think. And oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say I think that um, obviously communication is a big part of helping with that, and it doesn't need to be you know communicating all the time. When I'm working with couples, I always tell them to set a check-in time. So if it's once a week, pick an hour. So like Wednesdays at four o'clock. That's going to be our check-in time. And if we have a grievance with each other, if we need to uh, get something off our back, that's the time and the day that we're going to say it. And that gives you the rest of the week off. Um, and so you don't have to worry about it the rest of the week until you actually have that that one hour where you're going to have that difficult discussion. I like that. It's kind of like your own therapy session of that you kind of conduct, but you set a schedule to it. That seems Exactly. Yeah, it helps. You know, you, you were talking and somewhat joking about the baking, and I certainly have and had to increase my cardiovascular because of all this baking that I'm doing and sweets that I'm eating. But what are some other kind of pitfalls that are just kind of obvious things that people can fall into, alcohol and perhaps drug abuse? Because I've noticed, I've read that um, those rates are kind of going up as well during this period. Yeah, and let me preface this by saying I'm kind of a harm reduction person when it comes to uh, substances or drugs. I think that um, people are going to experiment and they're going to drink and they're going to use drugs. Um, and it's their choice whether or not they want to engage in that. You know, just uh, it's important to remember what healthy drinking is. You know, what the American Medical Association says 15 drinks a week for a man, I think it's 12 drinks a week for a woman. Um, if you drink a bottle of wine, that's five glasses of wine. That's something to be aware of. And I just tell people to track what they do. So, you know, if you're drinking a couple of glasses of wine every night, that's fine. But are you actually drinking a couple of glasses of wine and is it increasing? And if it does increase, that's something to be aware of. You know, if someone wants to sit back and use cannabis one evening because they're overwhelmed by things, great. Sometimes people need to do that. But if they're doing it every day, all day, and they're not doing their work because of it, and they're not talking to their friends or their family, that can become a problem. So it's all about spectrum and what's healthy and what's not healthy. And if you're getting out of your usual routine and you find yourself worsening, that might be the time to reach out to somebody. 
You know, you've mentioned it a couple of times and I agree. Um, the word aware, awareness, is something that we can all, whether you're quarantining with a, a spouse or anybody, family member, you, we all ultimately are responsible for our own behaviors. And th th it is a powerful thing just to be aware and check in with yourself, correct? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, as someone that practices psychotherapy, both I'm in therapy and do therapy, um, trying to be aware of what's going on in your mind and your feelings, I think, is really the core of helping you live a happier life. If somebody does find themselves going down a path and they are aware that perhaps maybe they are drinking too much, um, do you recommend, is there, I'm sure there's certain hotlines that people could call and everybody just kind of, kind of needs to look in their own area, but people shouldn't be afraid, I would imagine, to seek that help if they feel they are um, abusing maybe one substance or not. Yeah, I think one of the main things people, you know, and I, I try to tell people this all the time is you can express something without necessarily having to do something about it. So if you're, you know, say you're in your apartment with your partner and you feel like you're drinking too much, you can tell your partner, you know, I'm worried I'm drinking too much and just say that out loud and let's see what happens with it. It doesn't mean you have to go to rehab or uh, go to AA or anything necessarily. Um, but just saying those things out loud and getting it off your mind and out into the air, it's, it's so helpful for people. And, you know, when couples are interacting with family members or whoever, um, just saying things like, you know, I'm worried about my job. Um, I'm worried about what's going to happen to people around the world with this virus. I'm worried about where we're going. Just saying that out loud is part of the help of what therapy does. And you can do that with anybody. Um, it's different to actually be in a controlled environment with a therapist and actually process all that. But just to speak things out loud and not feel you have to do anything about it. You know, here on our show, Tags Podcasts, talk about gay sex. We talk a lot about having our sexual experiences and how healthy and having a, we've used the word a lot, um, sex positivity and freedom. And a lot of that with social distancing doesn't seem possible in the near future. Although people are still hooking up, I would imagine. And what do you say to people that either feel that they, you know, will they ever get to have sex again with somebody? <laughs> You'll definitely have sex again. Don't, don't worry about that. Thank you. Thank um, you. Know, hooking up will happen again. Like I am a, it's my friends and I are like big fans of the Eagle and uh, we go there usually on Sunday night. Um, and I can't tell you how much it's become aware to me that that was like a support place for me. Um, and just being around other gay men in an environment where I feel comfortable, it's just so nice to actually be surrounded by that. And, you know, I can deal without going to my favorite restaurants or going to the coffee shops or even going to my office, but being around people that I feel safe around, I think that's been one of the hardest things about this quarantine. Um, when it comes to hooking up, you know, people I think are coming up with inventive ways. I think a lot more sexting is happening. A lot more video sex is happening. There's a lot of places on the internet to go to interact with people in a sexual way. So people are, I think, are inventing new ways of doing that, which I think are great. They're going back to the old telephone ways of having sex, which is, yep. you know, something that was around in New York a, a while ago. Um, and then, you know, if people decide they actually want to hook up with someone, if they want to have an individual they see in person, I think it's just about knowing your risk. And um, there are a lot of unknowns right now. Like what, 
you know, who has this virus? Are they immune to this virus? Can they get it again? Um, who's contagious? Like those are unknowns. And if you decide you want to take a calculated risk, that's a personal choice. And that's what people do. Got it. Yep. I agree with all that. And I, like you, miss the Eagle as well here in New York <laughs> City. It's one of my places. And I think that's like like yourself, I think the uh, the future of our bars, I mean, particularly in metropolitan cities like ours in San Francisco, LA, and really all over, bars are not typically the largest spots in the world they're all they're designed to have a a bunch of people drinking and it's not even necessarily the hookups and the sex at times it's really just being around your fellow people like yourself and the communing that seems like we're not going to probably see that for some time no i i hope we see it in some form you know even if it's out in a park or in a street fair or something and if they have to limit the number of people that go in or if everybody has to wear a mask Whatever they do, I hope that New York finds, or New York and the world finds a way to overcome it and kind of go back to some sort of semblance of normal life. I know you do some work with uh, minority groups, and what are some things you can talk about, um, with, particularly maybe in our own community uh, during this pandemic that you've noticed? with minority groups, Latinos, African-Americans, maybe even Asian populations, do you see differences that we might, that concern you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, That kind of goes to my work I'm doing with the American Psychiatric Association. So we're getting data in, not just from New York, but other places uh, like Chicago, um, mainly Chicago, but other parts of the country, that there are these disparities popping up and you're seeing that the virus is disproportionately affecting certain populations, certain um, ethnic and racial populations. And why is that? The question is, what is in our system that's making that happen uh, as far as like housing and access to health care, getting access to clean water for certain groups? Uh, So yeah, it's very concerning. Um, It's something we're trying to bring attention to trying to get the American Psychiatric Association to talk about it, which they are. And I work behind the scenes a lot with groups trying to get kind of information in the media so that people are aware of it. That's great. Um, You know, we, you were talking a little bit about this at the beginning that your coming out experience in Alabama, um, you were happy to move to the big city. What would you say for, to people that are, exploring their sexuality and wanting to come out at this time when part of coming out is communing, you know, things like gay pride have all have been canceled. There's not a lot of areas, community centers, I would imagine are closed at this time. Um, It's, it would seem like it's not a great time to come out and you would almost just want to stay in the closet. Is there anything that you, you could shed some light on with people coming out? Yeah. Um, I, first of all, make sure if you want to come out to anybody, it needs to be safe. So, you know, you don't want to tell your angry alcoholic father that hates gay people that you're gay when you're stuck in a house with them for the next few months. That's not the best idea. Um, however, there are plenty of places online and through apps that you can talk to people and come out, coming out something that doesn't just happen once it happens your whole life. I'm 41 and I still have to come out to people all the time. 
I actually, you know, at the beginning of this episode came out um, telling everybody I was gay. So you that's, did, yes. <laughs> that's not something that is um, that it ever ends. So if you like uh, one of the support systems I've had is uh, there's this group online, like a gay physicians group. And uh, it's been a place where people have come out. Uh, they don't feel safe in their cities where they work or their towns where they work. And so they go to an online group and talk about it there. And I find that to be very inspiring because that's kind of like, I think what it was like for me in the beginning. So you don't need to come out necessarily to the most, uh, let me think of the best way to put this, the highly charged emotional people in your life. So if you want to tell your parents or a sibling or some family member or your priest or God knows who, um, it doesn't have to happen today. If you feel the need to talk about it, find someone safe that you can tell and start there. Great advice. Um, for I'm just curious to hear your take on, there's with most of us, I applaud everyone who's been practicing social distancing, but every with even within our own community, it's inevitable that you see people maybe walking down the street, not wearing their masks. And recently there was a, a, a kind of a renegade circuit party with these gay people and they had a yeah. DJ. I heard about and, that. Yeah. And, and flaunting it sort of on social media. Um, it can certainly be angry, angering to so many of us that are really trying to practice social distancing. But what do you make of like p- portions of our community that have that sort of carefree, I don't kind of fuck you attitude and flaunt it? Oh God, that's such a complicated question. Um, you know, it's, it's I had to ask. I had to ask. <laughs> it's about it's about kind of different levels of risk. So, you know, if I go meet people in the park in Central Park, for instance, and I'm playing a board game with them, and you know, we're sitting far enough apart, you know, according to standards, six feet apart, and I want to take off my mask just to get some fresh air, that's a decision I'm making in that moment. And, you know, the people around me can decide if they want to stay around me or not. Um, I'm not, I don't have a fever and I'm not coughing or anything. But, you know, it's, we make these personal choices on a regular basis. So, like, if I go to the grocery store, for instance, um, and I touch a piece of fruit, do I put the piece of fruit back or do I go ahead and buy it because I picked it up? I mean, it can get really minute. Then you think about something big like a circuit party. I mean, you, you have a, a group of queer people in the city that are quarantined, I'd say the majority in many ways are isolated. Even people that are living with partners can feel isolated. And then they hear this story about people having a party and um, breaking these rules. It is, I mean, it does make you angry um, because we're all following these rules and, you know, it's just not fair. I think that's the thought that comes to everybody's mind you ultimately are only responsible for yourself. And uh, there are authority figures that decide these legal cases and what happens to people that do these things. And I know I don't want to be a part of deciding that that's like a moral and ethical decision. That's uh, way, way above me and above my abilities, I think sometimes, but I just remember at the end of the day, it's your choices and what you want to do and what makes you feel safe. Got it. And one of the things um, I've noticed that I've had to, for myself, is when I'm talking to various people, whether it's a family member like my mom or different friends, the the amount of respect that I've had to 
and patience with every person that I talk to because everyone's risk factor is slightly different than the next and certainly your own. Mm -hmm. Some people are adhering a little bit more to uh, mask coverings, doubling up on masking, masking, not going, not seeing anybody. And then others are willing to say maybe me. And I find with everybody I talk to, I have to kind of take a, a pause and, and really hear them. And there's sort of a respect level of of how each and every one of us are handling this. Do, do you notice that? Is that something that we can be aware of, of just everybody that we come across? Yeah, it's kind of, um, I've noticed that certain people in my life, they're very cautious asking what I'm comfortable with when I meet with them. And then there are certain people that just don't ask at all and do whatever they want. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but it is kind of interesting how this new social norm is starting to pop up about disclosure and if you're okay with this or not okay and what you're comfortable with. And you know, society is going to adapt and, um, that's the kind of a, a new form of hello and trying to figure out boundaries around uh, virus uh, communication and things like that. It's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting direction we're going in. Definitely. I think we're all going to be adapting a lot. Um, for people that want to uh, uh, seek, you know, your work and so forth, how, what's the best way? Well, there are a lot of online resources. You could start with something as simple as like the American Psychiatric Association. Um, in New York, there are places like uh, Cal and Lord and GMHC. There are also other organizations like in Boston and Chicago, and you can even start there. Most places have some sort of referral system. And if you Google it enough, like gay therapist, gay psychiatrist, um, gay mental health worker, gay substance abuse uh, worker, you're going to find people around you. And there are a lot of hotlines or things like the Trevor Project. Um, even people might not be aware of their insurance companies. Um, and I don't say much good about insurance companies, but the insurance companies might have counselors available for them to talk to. Um, so there might be resources where you least expect it. And I would just, I would just start Google searching things that um, you're, you're looking for. And then personally for you, are you taking new clients if people wanted to reach out to you? I am taking new patients. I uh, Very sparsely. I'd usually take one or two a month uh, at the most just because I have to keep my spaces open for the people I'm already connected with. But um, if you go to something like AGLP, the Association of Gay and Lesbian Psychiatrists, they have a search network for patients where you can look for psychiatrists all around the country and even actually around the world. Um and there's also um, GLAMA, the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association, too. They have an online resource directory for doctors as well. Eric Yarbrough, I want to really thank you. You've really enlightened us so much on our mental health during this time and in general, really, and, and the awareness factor that we all need to be looking for within ourselves. I want to thank you so much. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure coming on, and I think it's very important what you're doing, and I hope you keep it up. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, I want to thank my guest this week, Eric Yarbrough. Um, I hope you got something out of that. I think it was, uh, I hope to have him back on the show uh, again, because for many reasons, I think it, the conversation of our mental health often gets overlooked. And certainly in this time, no time like right now to have him on. Um, again, I am um, the guest on the Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. That's the name of the podcast, Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. 
um, I will be the guest on tomorrow when the episode drops. But again, join me tonight from 9 to 11 Pacific Standard Time for the Zoom meeting where we're going to listen to part of the show. It's come in your leather gear and join us. It should be a lot of fun. I'll put the link at tagspodcast.com and you can check it out. And I hope to join you join I hope you join me this Thursday and every Thursday for Sex with Stevie, the live podcast, which is which is a call-in show. You can watch this at seven o'clock Pacific time, ten o'clock Eastern time. Go to Facebook.com forward slash tags podcast. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Dr. Eric Yarbrough. He will be back this fall with new topics to discuss about our mental health and our well-being. Can't wait for that. Join us. A reminder, this Wednesday, Tags Live on the Get Vocal application. Guest this week will be DJ Dan DeLeon. So bring your questions or send them ahead of time and I'll ask him. It all happens Wednesday night. 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, getvocalvokl.com forward slash channel forward slash tags live. Be safe, be well, keep it sexy, and I'll talk to you soon.